During the course of uh, our meeting so far, uh, I picked up or received this kind of feeling to fellowship. We will read a number of verses, not to have a Bible study, but to look carefully at a certain matter. And that is how Paul's person was the key to his shepherding. Paul was a certain kind of person in all of his interaction with the saints consistently. And that became the primary factor of his shepherding. The pattern, as Brother Lee pointed out years ago in the life study of Thessalonians, the pattern fosters it fosters others. And as a, just a very pre preliminary introduction, <coughs> I would point out that in the life study of Chronicles, Brother Lee has a portion where he says something like this. In God's creation, everything is according to its kind. But man is not according to his own kind. He was created according to God. So man in God's creation is God's kind. But in the fall, there's now mankind. And in God's complete salvation, a new species I want to emphasize this. A new species of being is produced called God-man-kind. God-man-kind. And we are, in fact, God-men. We are not merely improved human beings. And we are not merely uplifted and ethical human beings. We are human beings with God added to them. We need to realize this. And Paul, of course, took the lead and became the pattern of being such a person. And let's be reminded that eventually Barnabas sought him out and brought him to Antioch. And he was in Antioch with the prophets and teachers for a period of time. And you study the names given in Acts 13. There was a, a miniature of humanity. So Paul the Pharisee was really being blended with others of this God-man species. I want to emphasize this because when Paul went out with Barnabas to carry out the commission and they entered cities, there was 
a phenomenal impact. Sometimes it would stir up all kinds of things. And it's not that they were rabble-rousers or revolutionaries. He would just go to the synagogue. They might listen, they might not. If they didn't, he would leave and go to the Gentiles. Then place after place is stirred up. And when he went to Thessalonica, listen to what the people said at the end of verse 6, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And world is the inhabited earth. <laughs> I mean, what did they do? And I would like to describe, and we'll see this expression in some verses in 1 Thessalonians. I would like to describe the entrance of Paul and his co-workers into a new city as the entrance of the God-men. This is a, a science fiction imaginative illustration. But if human beings, yet superhuman beings, were to descend on Boston, everything would be in turmoil. Whether they, just their sheer presence, there are beings here that we've never met before. And where do they come from? And, and what are they? And what are they going to do? Well, I look to the, the Lord to impress us. God men are a new species. We are born of God. We are God in life and nature. And therefore God men. So especially the enemy is trembling. When the God men enter the city. And begin to announce the gospel of the kingdom. So we see here, these men who have upset the world have come here also. Now we will concentrate on the chapter in Acts, but before we go there, I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians. Paul was there only about a month. And look at what he writes, some of the things. The first epistle he ever wrote. In chapter 1, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And this is the key. Even as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. This is what he emphasizes. He said, you know what kind of men we were among you. Paul doesn't here say what kind of work we did, how eloquent our messages were, how deep our teaching was, 
how profound our spirituality was, what miraculous power we could exercise to heal people. You know, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. What kind of person we are among the saints determines everything. Not what we do is primary, what we are. And then he adds, for your sake. He was among them for their own benefit. And then in verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us what kind of entrance we had toward you. So here is the entrance. How did they come in? Were there flute players, trumpeters, and a dance team coming in? The godmen are coming, the godmen are coming. They just came in in an unassuming way. And people turned to God from the idols to serve a living and true God. Then in chapter 2, he, he develops this matter in relation to fostering. Verse 1, for you yourselves know, brothers, our entrance toward you, that it has not been in vain. Verse 3, for our exhortation is not out of deception, nor out of uncleanness, nor in guile. For even as we have been entrusted by God, even as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who proves our hearts. For neither were we found at any time with flattering speech, even as you know, nor for a pretext for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we see glory from men, neither from you nor from others. Though we could have stood on our authority as apostles of Christ, they didn't come in with a swagger and display authority as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle in your midst, as a nursing mother would cherish her own children. Amen. When do we hear about a big-time Christian worker saying, I was like a nursing mother among you, cherishing her own children? Don't you sense the sweetness, how endearing this is? Amen. Yearning in this way over you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls. Because you came, you became beloved to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and travail while working night and day so as not to be burdensome to any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
you are witnesses as well as God, how in a holy and righteous and blameless manner we conducted ourselves toward you who believe. Just as you know how we were to each one of you. In every contact, every one-on-one -on -one contact, how we were, how we were, what kind of entrance, what kind of person, just as you know how we were to each one of you as a father to his own children, exhorting you and consoling and testifying. This is Paul rather early in his ministry. And it seems that in all the years preceding the commission from the Spirit to go out of Antioch, Paul was being formed into a God-man. And then when he, he would go out to work, there would be the preaching of the word under the anointing of the Spirit. There would be the power of the Spirit, sometimes miracles. Yet what he emphasizes is the kind of person we were. And how would we describe how he was? Bill, how would we describe how Brother Lee was? It's indescribable that often, especially younger ones, they ask, you served with Brother Lee in a certain way. I did not have a special relationship with him. I was one of his co-workers. But when I'm asked to speak about this, it's always about his person. I would say things like, here is a man who wanted nothing for himself. Or you would be amazed at how human he was, how Jesusly human he was. So one day, oh, okay, I don't have to go to that anecdote. And so Paul is emphasizing this because the way he entered, the way he was, how he was to each one. Now, if we speak in a general way, how I was overall, that's one thing. But people are different and dispositions are different. And some just really get you. You just don't know how to be with them. And they press your buttons and you, parts of you react. But to be able to interact with every kind of saint in a way that they themselves will witness. That's right, Paul. We know how you were. You were like a nursing mother. You were like a father exhorting us. You not only ministered the word, you poured out your own soul. You did not exercise your authority. You did not covet anything. We could sense, wow, for the first time, money was not an issue. There's no covert 
indicating of need, you know, no hints about my, you know, my cloak is really quite old. And it would be nice. To, nothing like that. What is this? This is a new species. This is God, mankind. Well, he was only in Thessalonica for a month. He was in Ephesus for three years. Now I'd like to look into that passage in Acts 20, where Paul is on the way to Jerusalem. He cannot stop in Ephesus. So from Miletus, this is verse 17, he sent word to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Okay, this is maybe a small point. Um, I'm really glad, as far as we know, none of the elders said, who is he to call us to Miletus? Who does he think he is? Why doesn't he come here? We're the church here in Ephesus. We're the elders here. It does show the position in the body and the function in the body. He called for them. And he knew he would never see them again. And they did weep at the end. But it wasn't all about, I want to not see you anymore. And I wanted to see you one more time. And No, in his heart, he wanted to shepherd them. He wanted to cherish them. He wanted to care for the church by caring for them. So we'll read some verses and pass over others and comment on some more than others. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you all the time. All the time. How? How I was with you. Not what I was. Like, did you not know an apostle was in your midst and I'm writing the Bible? No. How I was. How we do things. How we are with the saints. How we speak to them is immeasurable in its effect. I remember how an elder brother and an elder in the church in Los Angeles, Samuel Chang, how he was with us. And he was famous for what we call his one-liners, his one-liners. Even, there was not a memorial meeting for Samuel. There was simply a gathering at the gravesite. And we could testify of one-liners in which you're opening something and then he shares an exact word that you remember like forever. And this is one that he shared with me. I had been in the church two and a half, three years. 
I was young, I was learning, and I wanted to experience the Lord. And I thought I was experiencing something. And I wanted just to share it with Brother Chang to see how he would feel. And after a meeting, he knew I wanted to talk to him. He could sense I wanted to talk to him. So he made himself available to me. This is a very brief exchange, maybe three to five minutes. And I'm sharing the matter with him. And then out comes one line. One sentence. Brother, the Lord will make you real. So there's a lot in there. Like, um, you're not real. What you're saying isn't real. But some, some persons could have said, brother, you're, you're just misled. You're just in yourself. This is not real. You got to get real. Then, then what would that do to me? Or if he would be political and say, my, that's a wonderful experience. So it was both an exposure and a prediction. The Lord will make you real. I, I, look, for, I look forward to seeing Samuel. Surely by the time I see him, we'll both be glorified. I'd like to say, Brother Samuel, look, the Lord made me real. <laughs> then here will come another one-liner. He said, I know I prayed for that. <laughs> well, that's how he was. Not, not only that, the, you had the sense this is a brother who prays for the saints all the time. So Paul is impressing on them what they knew. From the first day I set my foot in Asia, how I was with you all the time. No fluctuation. No moods. And we know from the context and verses that he shares, he had a lot of affliction. And he had physical problems that can affect his feeling. But he would not allow this to influence how he was with them. All the time. The little verses like this, they're worth pre-reading. How I was with you. How I was with you. All the time. To each one of you. Amen. And this is not something that you can decide to put on. I'm migrating to a certain place. Or I'm going to Europe to serve. I must see how I comport myself. I must study the culture to know what to do. To learn to say boot instead of trunk. And overtaking instead of passing. Uh, all of that is false. We have to go there and be a different kind of species. Verse 19. Serving the Lord as a slave. 
with all humility and tears and trials which came upon me because of the plots of the Jews. Okay, this impression. He, he is an apostle. He's writing epistles that will become holy scriptures. He didn't have an air of, you know, there's a man of authority here. There's an apostle here. Where's your deference? I serve the Lord as a slave with all humility. Why doesn't he say this humility? There must be varieties of humility, degrees of humility, all humility. Then in verse 20, how I did not withhold any of those things that are profitable by not declaring them to you and by not teaching you publicly and from house to house. So he did not withhold anything. I really am encouraged by the fellowship concerning many conferences. And the many conferences should be carried out by local brothers. You're the fathers there. And you can say they're the local prophets. Because saints who have been coming into the church at different times and different stages, they need to be educated. There was a mini conference in Anaheim on the ground of the church, especially with a lot of Spanish speakers. And to have these, like Bill said, in stores five times a year, but in two and a half years, they covered the crucial contents of God's New Testament economy. What a view to present to the saints. And we shouldn't have the thought, well, is this in the flow? What? Please realize that in Ephesians 2.21, all the building is growing. So we are part of all the building, receiving the universal ministry, living in the universal fellowship. But verse 22 says, you also are being built together, right? And North Providence, weren't you cherished? by the prayer testimony of the brothers there so cherished it just gives you such a sweet feeling and how we long to pray more with the brothers so the you also is local and we need to shamelessly take care of our local situation and one aspect of it is to not withhold anything whatever is profitable over time we have to impart everything to the saints. And he did this publicly. And I don't know how this will be worked out. We see this next point. We see this also in Acts 5. The apostles, it was a big church. The saints are meeting in homes. The apostles circulated. I can see on a Saturday night, you got the twelve in various sectors of New Jerusalem, of, Ju of Jerusalem. And maybe one of them goes to four to six houses. They just come in, you, you are with the saints, you're with them, you have the burden to impart this, you go somewhere else. 
They, they were act, he was actively teaching from house to house. Solemnly testifying, both to Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 22, he speaks about going to Jerusalem. Verse 23, about afflictions awaiting him. Then verse 24 is very crucial as to what kind of person he was. But I consider my life, my soul life, of no account as if precious to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Okay, a number of points, part of the pattern. If something was more important to him, more precious than his own life, his own life, and I'm more and more convinced we need John 3.16 to be matched by 1 John 3.16. Herein is love that he laid down his soul life for us. And we ought to lay down our soul lives for the brothers. There is no shepherding without this. That's John 10. He laid down his suke life, his soul life, that the sheep may have zoe life. We cannot, to administrate the church is not primarily a matter of skill, of ability, of acumen, of experience. It's a matter of the attributes we saw in 1 Thessalonians, Attributes of a God-man combined with this. What's precious to me is not my own life, but that I may finish my course. I believe in saying this, he sowed into these brothers a realization that each one of us has a course to follow. We are here, we're here for God's eternal purpose, but each one is a member. And what we can, in actuality, carry out is our portion. And it's really healthy to have the incentive, I want to finish my course. That's what he said at the end. That's when one realizes that he's an overcomer at the end, you can say, I finished the course. And I say this, covered by the Lord's blood. I'm, I'm not young, but I'm not elderly and feeble. As far as I know, my health is okay. I'm sustained in my travels. But personally, just as your brother, before the Lord, I just want to finish my course. And we cannot lengthen it and we cannot shorten it. That James finished early. Then Paul and Peter. John. I think it was easy for him to live into his 90s. 
and to bear that and then release the mending ministry so late? Think it was easy for him? Just in our humanity, don't you think he ever felt, Lord, can't I just go now? Can I just go with you now? I'm, I'm 84. And the Lord indicate, no, John, the crucial thing is, is ahead. It's ahead. I haven't written Revelation yet. Of course, this is not the dialogue. But to finish the course, my course. I wish every young person in the Lord's recovery would have a sense of course. Of course. Not career. Course. We have a profession. We have a family. We have the responsibilities of human life. But before the Lord, we have a course. And the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus, to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face no more. So the kingdom message was quite central. Run about proclaiming the kingdom. Then he can say, somewhat matching, verse 20, I did not shrink back from declaring to you all the counsel of God. It's very rare. I'm somewhat familiar with Christianity. I came out of there. And with the preachers there, most of whom are hired, you can only speak so much or you get fired. You can only speak so much. But to have the character where you withhold nothing and you do not shrink back from declaring to you all the counsel of God. We need to be able to say this. The saints under our care, given a period of time, here it was three years, okay, three years. You can't do it in one mini conference. But we should have the sense that over a period of time, and maybe in cycles, as new ones are coming in, we declare the whole counsel of God to all the saints. We don't hold back anything. We tell you about the kingdom. We tell you about the high peak of the divine revelation, about the God-men living, about the life practices, about so many matters. If the saints are to be constituted with the truth, there needs to be something in us corresponding to that. Then he gives a direct word. And I've been pondering this just recently. Take heed to yourselves. Brothers, what does this mean? Take heed to yourself. Um, and to all the flock. But first he says, take heed to yourselves. I, I don't have much light on this yet. 
it must at least include that, brothers, you need to watch out for yourself. The problem could come out from within you. You could be the problem. Or you need to take care of your own situation positively. You need to maintain your enjoyment of the Lord. You mean need to maintain your life with the Lord. You need to maintain your walk with the Lord, whatever it means. But whoa, if Brother Lee would be here and say to us, brothers, take heed to yourselves. And if you were to say, Brother Lee, what does it mean to take heed to yourselves? I think he would say, take heed to yourselves. Then you go to the Lord. Lord, what does it mean? Then the light will come. Okay. And to all the flock. Okay. All. I, I enjoyed being with the brothers in, in Cambridge the other night. And there's quite a range there in the church. It's not only a campus work. And when we need to have the sense we're caring for all the flock. All the flock. And if that's the sense, then every sheep should have the awareness. The church cares for me. The brothers care for me. I'm kind of exempting those who are in self-pity and self-love. But there should be the human sense that in the background, in Matthew 18, about if your brother sins against you, you go to him. If he listens, you gain your brother, etc., etc. The background is the shepherd seeking one sheep, one sheep. So all the flock, one missing sheep should matter. It should matter. All the flock. Take heed to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has placed you as overseers. According to Acts 14.23, the apostles appointed elders in every church. But according to 20.28, the Holy Spirit placed them as overseers. How do we understand this? Uh, we follow Brother Lee's interpretation to say the Holy Spirit manifested. The apostles recognized what the Holy Spirit has done and then make that definite by their appointment. So the Holy Spirit has placed you as overseers. I wonder, this is a wondering, it's not a covert um, accusation. If we consider much overseers, overseers, we consider elders a lot, overseers, I don't think this is in our vocabulary that much. These brothers are the overseers. But in 1 Peter 2, the Lord is called the overseer and shepherd of our soul. Well, an overseer is not a spy. He's not working with the CIA. He's not gathering information. But Hebrews 13 says the leading ones, watch for your souls. No. I'm not going to do this. I would never do this. I can't imagine doing it. But suppose we had fellowship and I just asked you, 
How are the souls of the saints in Boston? How are the souls? The souls of the brothers, the souls of the sisters. This brother is now 57. And this is his life situation humanly. This is his disappointment with his young adult son. How is his soul? How can we shepherd if we don't first oversee, if we're not aware of what the need is? So we are overseers to shepherd the church of God. Then Paul added this mysterious expression, which he obtained through his own blood. Well, according to truth, God is spirit. He doesn't have blood, but God became a man, Jesus, the son of God. And the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us. So the blood is really the blood of the God man. But Paul's intention here is to impress the elders with the supreme preciousness of the church to God and also to Paul. Paul just treasured the church. And uh, I received an email is from someone in this area I didn't know. I could tell she's in pain, she's suffering. But there's a deep concern because she's criticizing the church. That's never profitable. And it's never justified. Okay? It's never justified. Even if one can say this one offended me and the brothers offended me, okay, bring it into the light. But then to go beyond and to touch the church by criticism will never bring life to you. You're touching what is supremely precious to the redeeming God. No matter what the condition of the church looks like in your eyes, the church in Amherst is supremely precious. The church in Newton, I was there. When was I there? Was it Tuesday night? Maybe 45 saints. What preciousness. What freshness. By the way, Bob, allow me just to say this. My feeling is, it's not February in Newton. It's springtime in Newton, man. It's resurrection life. It's budding and blossoming. I mean it. Either I'm crazy or this is reality. But I think the spirits of the saints bear witness. It's a new day. There's freshness and newness, right? Then he says, for I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What happened? Between whatever year this was and when the Lord spoke to Ephesus, what happened that they lost, they forsook the first love? What happened? What led to that over time? The works continued, the endurance continued, the discernment was keen. 
But they were the beginning of degradation. What caused that? There must have been some factor. We don't know. And if you study carefully Brother Lee's ministry along this line, that Apollos had preceded Paul in Ephesus. Eventually all Asia turned from him. Including Ephesus. So there was some factor that came in. He said, anyway, fierce wolves will come in. But what is really sobering is verse 30. And from among you yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverted things, to draw away the disciples after them. I don't want to belabor this, but I just want to illustrate. We had to quarantine <coughs> certain ones, and we had to write a warning letter about certain other ones. And in both cases, they were speaking perverted things, perverted things, to draw away the disciples after them. One aspect of how brotherly was among us, and I know how he was in my limited relationship with him, he never developed a personal following. Never. He would not allow anyone to follow him in that way. He would not allow it to happen. And so he did not want anyone to follow him as him. Once in my early pseudo humble days working with him, you know, not knowing how to be, he just told me bluntly, don't follow me blindly. How about that for a one-liner, you know? <laughs> In other words, you follow the vision, you follow the truth. In, uh, what's, I think it was one of the trainings on Hebrews. Sorry, we don't have that on video. They were among his favorite life study trainings. Bill, remember? And in one session, many saints were giving genuine appreciation. The brotherly for his ministry, whatever. And he stands up to speak and he says, um, I do not appreciate your appreciation. In other words, he's just not affected. Just not affected. He didn't want a following. And I don't know hardly anything about this area, but I just have the sense among you brothers, no one wants a following. Amen. No one wants anything for himself. Isn't that sweet? No one, no one, no one. And surely you're not speaking perverted things. You're speaking the truth. Therefore, watch. Remember that for three years, night and day, listen to this. I did not cease admonishing each one with tears. This is the second mention of tears. I don't think the Apostle Paul is just a sentimental person going boo-hoo 
at, at the slightest prompting, admonishing each one with tears. Imagine Paul being in your living room. You're having some green tea after a light meal. Then he's opening his heart. You can tell he knows your situation. You can tell he loves you. He's concerned for you. He prays for you. Now he doesn't rebuke. He doesn't exhort. He's admonishing. At a certain point, he can just weep. He can just weep. Let me tell you something I observed. I was asked to be there along with someone else as a witness. And there were two couples. And the two brothers had been in business together. They were both in the church in Anaheim. There was Brother Lee and the other brother, older than I, and I as a witness. The two brothers were in business. One really defrauded the other. So you have the righteous brother, the one who was defrauded, and the defrauding brother. The righteous brother tried again and again to appeal to the defrauding brother to make things right. The defrauding brother was one powerful person in himself. He didn't budge. So the righteous brother sued the defrauding brother. And the defrauding brother did not appear in court. <clears throat> the righteous brother <clears throat> presented the evidence. <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the court ruled in his favor. And then a lien was put on the brother's house, the defrauding brother's house. And that really alerted the wife. Because they had a very nice house and the brother was skillful. He could remodel it or whatever. So it came to Brother Lee to adjudicate. So that was the purpose of this. They, they both agreed to appeal to Brother Lee to work out a solution. So here we are. And we prayed. And then Brother Lee shares, we need to care for this in righteousness and love. That impressed me. Righteousness and love. From 1 John. Then uh, they went over the facts of the matter. And everyone acknowledged the facts. There really was no dispute. There was no anger. Everything was subdued because... The Lord was ruling there. And if I remember correctly, let's just say the defrauding brother owed the righteous brother $20,000. It's not huge, but in 1983, it's significant. So th this is what Brother Lee did. He first addressed the righteous brother. He said, are you willing to accept less? Are you willing? Or do you insist on the full amount? Okay. And the brother indicated he was willing. Well, then are you willing to accept 
this much, and then Brother Lee lowered it. Then he stopped at $10,000, love and righteousness. He said, are you willing to accept $10,000 as the full payment? He said, yes. Then he turned to the defrauding brother and said, brother so-and-so is willing to accept half the amount. Will you agree? Are you willing to repay this much? And he was. Well, it was in abeyance, okay. Before they indicated, I got ahead of myself. Brother Lee presented the whole thing. Then this is what he said. Brothers, if you will not agree to this, I will just weep before you. I believe that Paul got to that point. I can't do anything more. I can just pour out my tears to weep. I think you're interested in the end of the story that the righteous brother accepted 10,000. The defrauding brother, he gave a really a lame apology saying, sorry for causing the trouble. And that was settled. The defrauding brother had, was out of the church. He was considered an impossible case, except for God and Brother Lee. Brother Lee shepherded him back, having him at, to his home for lunch and shepherding him. He came back in an absolute way, died of colon cancer in victory, and the righteous brother left the Lord's recovery eventually. He migrated to a certain place. He was ambitious to be in the lead. He didn't have the portion to be in the lead. His ambition exceeded his capacity. So eventually he left. He became a pastor in a Baptist church. We just don't know. And when I think, read this about Paul, and I see this about Brother Lee, these are not sentimental tears. This shows the depth of love and concern for the saints. Then we come to the end, almost. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. In other words, you're not my possession. In a sense, I'm not worried. This is not my church. I commit you to God and I'm really glad he, said, and glad he said this, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who have been sanctified. What a conviction he had in the word of his grace, of God's grace. Then he goes on, I have coveted no one's silver uh, gold, silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my needs and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you by example. Here we are again. That toiling in this way, 
We ought to support the weak. Um, in Romans 15, Paul addresses this contrast between the strong and the weak. Some who are strong, they cannot bear the weak. I admit this is in the early days of migrated church. It was a year old. I had migrated there and then under Brother Lee's direction migrated again. And for a period of time, the brothers in the church wanted to make everyone in the church members of a crack military corps. The whole church was going to be like special forces, airborne rangers. This is my term. And they had inspections early in the morning, unannounced of the saints' homes. <coughs> you know, <clears throat> and one brother taking the lead, I mean, I'm not putting him in a bad light. He was just very thorough, and he himself was very detailed. But they inspected his house, and they looked under a lamp, and there was dust under the light bulb. And so he got a demerit. But eventually, this didn't last very long. <laughs> because the church is not ranger camp. The church consists in a wide range of people. And many are weak. According to 1 Thessalonians 5, some have small souls. Small souls. Not easy for someone who has a big soul, strong character, to bear with a small soul. But to, for, to, for someone with a small soul, a little thing really seems tragic. It's really tragic. They're not putting on. That's a big thing. That's a big thing for them. And here he wanted to support the weak. Instead of saying, God's forming an army. We're going to Armageddon. We can't have a bunch of wimps here. We, we can't turn the church into this. There can't be such an atmosphere that the weak feel there's no place for them in the church, in the body of Christ. They're not supported. I think it's in Romans 15. We who are strong ought not to please ourselves, right? But, you know, but to bear, to bear with the weak. And then he applied the law of giving. The words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said... It is more blessed to give than to receive. This should be just the way we operate. We're not here to receive. The Lord is my witness when I travel. I'm not here to receive. I'm here to give. I'm here to give. It's much more blessed to give than to receive. And when they had said these things, he, when, when he had said these things, he knelt down with them all and prayed. Brothers, don't you have some impression? This is a God man. How he was with them all the time. With everyone, in every situation, for three years, under a lot of pressure, 
making tents to support his co-workers and himself, not coveting anything, withholding nothing, not sparing himself, but pouring himself out. To draw upon Brother Lee's word in a classic note in the beginning of Acts 28, this is Jesus living again. His divinely enriched human life in one of his members. And this is what the churches need. What we are, how we are, mean everything in shepherding the saints. So what should we do? We just come back to the center of God's economy. Lord, I want you to reproduce yourself in me, be revealed in me, live in me, be formed in me, make your home in me, save me in life, train me to be one spirit with you. Then, how precious to be able to tell the saints when you are leaving, when you're going to the Lord, or when you're moving away to say, brothers and sisters, you know how I was with you all these years in Boston. You know how I was. You know how I interacted with each one of you. And that will, that reminder will make a deep impression on them that they also want to be this kind of person and live this kind of life. So this is my fellowship. Okay. Maybe we can pray about this a little. Okay. Amen.